Welcome to The Five Things. It's This Week in Social. Each week, we read, listen, and watch everything we can to give you a playlist of the top five things going on in social. This week, our curators of cool are Tommy Boyce and Kyla Sloan. You might remember Kyla from a few episodes ago when we had the live episode. We were so excited to welcome her back. So hello, Tommy. Welcome, Kyla. Are you guys ready for a quick round of bop or flop? Yeah, let's do it. Oh my God. Let's go. All right, Tommy first. Here we go. Instagram reels. Flop. Why? It's giving um, old person on Facebook. All right. The behind rocket the raccoon. Behind the meme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The rocket raccoon voice on TikTok. Bop. Elon Musk pursuing Twitter. Flop. Oh my God. All right. <laughs> okay. Over to you, Kyla. Here we go. Uh, the ultimatum on Netflix. Flop. Oh my gosh. No, I just can't get into okay. it. I'm sorry. <laughs> NFTs. Bop. Although I don't a hundred thousand percent understand them. I see their success and I respect it. So I'm going to go ahead and say Bob. Okay. Last one. Anonymous fishbowl comments. Bob, for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm Joey Scarillo and I am ready to press play. Here are the five things. First up, Tommy shares the best times to post on social media in 2022. Then Kyla dives into YouTube shorts who are now allowing creators to splice in long form videos. Tommy jumps into TikTok who launched interactive add-ons to help brands build more engaging content. Then Kyla outlines Meta's 10-year growth plan for wearables. And finally, Tommy tells us about Instagram removing the recent tab. All right, friends, let's dive in. Tommy, kick us off with the best times to post on social media. Yeah, so obviously user behavior on social platforms has changed throughout the last few years due to many things. COVID-19, the emergence and dominance of TikTok and short-form content, and also the fact that algorithms now drive the majority of platforms and how content shows up. So Sprout Social's data science team reviewed both trends on social and more than 30,000 customers to understand when content was most and least frequently engaged with, broken out by platform and industry. They found that the best times to post on social media overall are Tuesdays through Thursdays at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. The best days to post on social are Tuesdays through Thursdays again, and the worst day to post is on Sundays. They then broke it down by platform. Uh, the best times to post on Instagram is Mondays at 11 a.m., Tuesdays and Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., and Thursdays and Fridays at 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. On Twitter, the best times to post are Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays at 9 a.m. And on Facebook, the best times to post are Mondays through Fridays at 3 a.m. And this one surprised me, but the study found that weekday very early mornings and mid-mornings still show more consistent engagement and have been much more opportune times for brands to get eyes on their content than at noon. So not much more to say besides this, I think. I think it's just a good reminder for us to figure out when to schedule campaigns and have content go live. And they certainly have the stats back it up. 30,000 customers surveyed. It's a great little article if you want to check it out. And yeah, just a good reminder of when to schedule your campaigns, have things go live and get eyes on your content. Yeah, that's really interesting. Kyla, thinking of the way you interact with social media, do these times make sense? Does early morning seem to be the best time for you? Definitely. I think they make a lot of sense. Personally, I feel like the earlier you post, obviously it gives you a longer time frame to be present within the algorithm. And sometimes I think posting later isn't necessarily a disadvantage. I think there is a group of night owls that we see on social who are pretty active. 
But overall, just posting in the morning, you you hit that sweet spot of people who are just waking up, they're checking their phones, obviously, they're wanting to know the latest. So although 3am, for example, on Facebook sounds crazy, maybe it's really not because they probably, they as in Facebook, they probably have the most consistent algorithm in terms of chronological order compared to all other platforms that we see. But yeah, it's really interesting to know. I know a few years ago, posting times was like really important to creators and getting their their work out there. But although we have these times to go off of, you know, based on what, what Tommy just said, I'm interested to know if like creators feel that it's actually working, for example. I know on Instagram, a lot of people complain about that algorithm specifically, but yeah, I'm just curious to know like what the actual ROI is depending on what time you post. Yeah, that is all very interesting. Tommy, as somebody who has talked to brands, works with brands, been a brand on social media, do you take this as Bible or do you sort of take it as a suggestion? I think it's a suggestion. I don't think anything is Bible because trends and user behavior changes so much. Some things remain true over time, obviously. I mean, Twitter, it makes sense to post earlier in the mornings because people have Twitter with their breakfast. It's sort of like a a newspaper for them on social. And Facebook, people maybe stay up later and just scroll because that's kind of how that sort of audience base behaves on that platform. But also this could change in six months, in a year. Think of how TikTok has radically changed the way people use social nowadays. So I think for the moment, it's a good suggestion of how to approach posting and when to post. But I think we should be careful of being like, this is the time to post and we're not going to change our mind ever again. Like this is dogma. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's jump over to our second thing. Kyla's going to tell us about YouTube Shorts now allowing creators to splice in long form videos. This sounds really interesting. Tell us about it. Alrighty. So if you're familiar with YouTube Shorts, then you know that they are almost like the short version of YouTube's long form videos, right? So they've recently created a change where users will now be able to take a clip between one and five seconds from an already existing long form YouTube video. So when a new short is created with a clip from an existing video, the original video will be credited via a link. So now creators will have a library of already existing long form YouTube videos to choose from, and they'll be able to remix, I guess, their short videos. So I thought that this was really interesting because although we know that YouTube shorts are similar to like TikTok videos, creators will now have the opportunity to profit if their original content starts to go viral or is remixed extensively by others. So we see this happening all the time with the Stitch videos on TikTok, but we don't necessarily know if the original creators of those videos of those sounds are are getting any profit from that. So I thought that that was very interesting and a new opportunity for a platform like YouTube. So iOS users will have the new feature available in the coming weeks, and then Android users will be able to use the new feature later this year. Yeah, this sounds really exciting for collaboration and for creators to get paid, which is always a great thing. Tommy, do you... Do you see this working functionally? Like, do you think this will be a clean process, clean viewing experience when these clips are sort of interjected in between YouTube shorts? I think it could easily feel clunky or disjointed. I'm thinking at first of like aspect ratios. Like if a video is filmed for horizontal, but YouTube Reels is on mobile as a vertical format, how that will work. I'm thinking of different lighting, filming, editing styles, trying to make that work together. And listen, people on YouTube are very talented. They know how to edit videos and they know how to make this work. But I'm wondering if this will be really adopted by users overall, not just those who are already YouTubers moving over to YouTube shorts, but whether or not people will stitch and the way that we use TikTok for in the middle of videos or beginning or end. So I think we'll have to see how this uh, behavior develops. I think obviously it has a lot of potential. The fact that people get paid is remarkable and something that YouTube actually has over TikTok, which makes it a lot more valuable and enticing for creators. But I don't know if people are going to make it 
so seamless. We'll have to figure that out. Kyla, do you think it'll be native for brands to get involved with this feature? You know, I think it will be a little bit more difficult for brands. Just honestly speaking, I feel like Tommy made a great point in the native feel of TikTok versus YouTube and, and how organic it feels. When I'm thinking about YouTube shorts and how a user might incorporate a longer form video into their video, it's more like they're needing to give an example. Or maybe they do have a video that they've created and they almost want to create like a commercialized like thumbnail. You know what I mean? It's like something that's a little bit shorter and enticing and really reels the people in. But I don't know if the brand, if brands have that same opportunity without it feeling a little less produced. And we know that brands, they like to stick to a bit more highly produced content online. So we'll have to see. Absolutely. We shall. All right, let's stick with the short form content. Jump over to TikTok who launched interactive add-ons. Tommy, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so TikTok is adding a range of new ways to encourage engagement with in-stream ads with new interactive add-ons, which as they sound, incorporate interactive elements into video promotions. TikTok stated that interactive add-ons offer a unique way to entice and engage viewers with pop-ups, stickers, and other visual elements. Viewers who have shared, liked, or commented on a TikTok brand video are 150% more likely to buy a product or service. Catching the eye of active consumers is made easier with these new creative enhancements. So this new feature has standard add-ons like display cards that can visually highlight messages, offers, and more, gift code stickers, voting stickers, and countdown stickers, and premium add-ons like pop-up showcases for products, gesture prompts where if a user performs a gesture, they get a clickable display card or reward that can drive them to a landing page and eventually super like 2.0, which isn't out yet, but sounds just, you know, exciting 2.0. So not all of these options are available to all advertisers yet. They will be soon. And that provides a range of new options to consider in your TikTok marketing process, including interesting ad prompts that can help boost your response rates is really great. And I think that these new features are exciting and will be good for brands on the app to spark response and boost recall. Obviously, how effective it will be depends on how you use them. But I think we'll see some interesting experimentation and results come out of this. Yeah, this obviously sounds really cool much more engaging, a great way to interact with TikTok. But I'm curious, Kyla, does this sort of give you Instagram story vibes with all of the buttons and links and things you can click on? That's so funny, Joey, that you asked because I was literally thinking of that. I feel like it's not new. You know what I mean? Like we've seen it done before, but we've also seen a lot of success with having accessibility to features like this. So I'll be honest, I'm not mad at it. I think that it's pretty cool and it's another way to engage users in something that feels new and really interactive. All right. Well, I think that's all we have to say about that one. I think this will be a cool feature. Hopefully brands will jump onto it. But let's switch over now to Meta. Kyla, tell us about their... 10-year growth plan for wearables. Um, this is exciting. Yeah. Meta has a 10-year growth plan where they are looking to launch new futuristic glasses that allow for AR experience. So as we know, the metaverse to be completely delving into the whole VR experience, first reality. Now it looks like they're taking a turn or pivot into augmented reality, which I thought was really interesting because it seemed as though that they were, you know, really capitalizing on this new VR experience. This is the most futuristic aspect of its kind. This new launch or product will be called Project Nazaire, and they're essentially smart glasses that could work independently from mobile phones and use risk controls to navigate various functions. First thought, sounds really interesting, a little crazy, but like I said, definitely first of its kind. The Verge reported that this is the most futuristic aspect and again, first of its kind version where a risk device meta plans to bundle with the glasses will control them. And hypothetically, the wearer's mind will be able to control the movement in which, you know, once you put the glasses on, the movement of your body when you're in this augmented space. The wristband uses differential EMG 
to measure electrical pulses in the arm's neurons, essentially creating the effect of a phantom limb so that the wearer can use it to interact with the glasses on. So it's really interesting to note that they have a sudden emphasis on AR wearables, especially given the fact that majority of their focus has been really into the VR world. And I guess their plan as of now is to launch the first version of these glasses in 2024 with upgrades slated for 2026 and 2028, respectively. So Tommy, a lot of companies have tried wearables. Obviously, we've got our Apple Watches. We had Google Glass many years ago. We had the Snapchat spectacles, you know, maybe five or six years ago. What's going to make these different? And I guess even better question is, what's going to make you, the user, want to use these products? That is a great question. Why would I want to buy these glasses? I think what's going to make them different, what Meta wants to make different, is the fact that they're already incorporating it with their VR headsets with Quest, which I see advertisements for Quest all over TV nowadays. They are fully going in. And it feels like VR now is at a point where there's a decent level of adoption and it being used by consumers. Like It's a part of sort of landscape. And I think they're trying to connect that with not just the VR headsets, but with the Meta's overall goal of entering the Metaverse. It's very new and shiny and fun. And I think that's what they're trying to go for. They're trying to be sort of innovative again, the Facebook of what they once wore when it was the new social platform for connecting and it was this fresh thing. And I think these AR glasses and also the wristband component of it, which apparently is like measuring ECG is going to act as like a phantom limb, which is crazy. Like that's, that's coconuts. That all is really cool. And I think if it really works out like they're intending and if it really sees results, it can deliver what they promise. It seems exciting enough and cool to get people to buy it. I think that's what it's going to be. I think if it comes out 2024, 2026, we'll already be seeing these advancements in VR and it being adopted by more users. So I think if it comes to the right time, it can deliver what it's promised. We could see actually this being adopted and purchased by you know, your regular average Joe. Kyla, is there a level of trust that goes into buying these products, especially from a company like Meta? A hundred percent. And I think that was one of the clear call-outs in this article that was also by Drunk on Social. But I think one of the clear call-outs was that there has to be some type of privacy agreement that falls within purchasing a product like this. Because if you are somehow hypothetically using this product to read a user's mind or even connect this EMG to the movement of their limbs, there has to be some type of agreement. So if you do buy a product like this, I know that you're going to be signing or okaying something. And so if, if, if you're at all familiar with Meta's past, or if you're at all familiar with just like data privacy and things of that nature, or skeptical, this could be somewhat of an issue. But I think that it's, it's pretty cool. And I echo everything that Tommy says. It's new, it's innovative. Right now, we're heavy into the VR space. But I think the difference between what virtual reality and augmented reality provided, you know, virtual puts you in a completely different space, but augmented, you're literally putting on glasses and you're still in the same place. It just looks and feels a little bit different. So it's not as much of a shock, but it's still really cool. That makes sense. Yeah. It'll definitely be interesting to see where this goes. Personally, myself might not be the first person in line, but I tend to not be on the front end of these curves, but definitely would be interested to see where this goes over the next 10 years as Meta outlined. All right. Speaking of Meta and one of their children, let's jump over to Instagram. Tommy, tell us about the removal of the recent tab. So Instagram announced that it is launching a small test, which will see the recent tab removed from hashtag search results in favor of more recent posts and reels being displayed in the main display. So as explained by Instagram, we're trying out some new things to make hashtags as valuable as possible for people. For a small group, we're testing more recent and timely content in top and reels tabs and hashtags and removing the recent tab. We want to see this helps people connect with more interesting and relevant content on hashtags 
whilst keeping them across what's current. So it looks like Instagram wants to make hashtags, you know, as valuable as possible, which is in line with a recent update to help connect people to more information around social causes linked to hashtags. And by putting more focus on the top posts in each hashtag search, that will help it better highlight the more valuable content for each user, while also giving it more chance to limit the spread of potentially harmful movements or trend jackers looking to capitalize on a given interest. So Instagram actually also has done this before, in fact. In the lead up to the 2020 US election, Instagram removed the recent tab for hashtag searches in order to reduce the real-time spread of potentially harmful content that could pop up around the election. So in other words, Instagram is moving to reduce the incentive for using irrelevant hashtags and try and stop growth hackers People who post hashtags don't actually correspond to the content they're showing that will be seen by as much as possible. And while the removal of the recent tab in some contexts will probably be annoying for users, it does mean that creators will need to put more focus on the most relevant tags, which could lead to a better user experience overall in the fact that what you search for is actually what you're going to get. All right. So this is all in an effort to clean up hashtags, it sounds. Kyla, do we think this is the right move? Do we Are we going to miss the recent tab? What do we think? You know, I honestly, when I was listening, I'm, I was like, what is the recent tab? <laughs> you know, I, I was trying to recall, but I think I often feel like I don't care much for the recent tab. I know that you have the option to like clear search if you're wanting to do that. I don't know. I don't think I personally would miss it too much. And I feel like a lot of users would feel the same way. I am curious though, to know how this directly correlates with hashtag searches, because you could just search the hashtag again. You know what I mean? So that, that really stuck out for me, but you know, I don't think I'm going to miss it much. And I don't think it'll make much of a difference as far as like your user experience goes. Tommy, are we slowly weaning out of hashtags? Are hashtags still a hashtag thing? That's a great question. I think they are, especially Instagram looks like they're trying to promote it even more with this new update and with the one earlier mentioned about finding hashtags linked to social causes. I do think it's kind of maybe working itself out of the everyday vernacular of using social media platforms. But I think for brands and creators, it's still a vital part of getting your content seen and reaching audiences. That's great. Well, that's good for us because we have a hashtag in our podcast title. So I I hope hashtags are still a thing. All right, friends. Well, that does it for us. If you don't already, please be sure to follow us, share us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints. You can direct those over to podcasts at gray.com. I want to thank Kyla and Tommy for joining us. And thanks to Danielle and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios, behind the scenes, making us sound great every single week. Thank you, listener. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.